0: morning, and I hope you had a good break to give thanks, but the opening song said it well. Always and everywhere uh, we should be giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good. So we're in the Lord's Prayer, and to review the setting of it, you find it in Matthew chapter 6, and that's right in the middle of Jesus' famous teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And people do various things with the Sermon on the Mount, but I think the key to it is the way Jesus keeps calling God Father. Thirteen times in those three chapters, he's your Father. Once Jesus says, my Father, and famously at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to pray our Father. So what's the point? The point of the whole Sermon on the Mount is not about the rules. It's all rooted in the relationship that we have with God, the most important relationship we can have with him And the basis of all that, Jesus says, is knowing him as Father. I love this tie. It's got the whole Lord's Prayer on it. But in the background, it very nicely has our Father. And that's the basis of the Sermon on the Mount, the relationship with God in that way, and as the prayer opens. So since we had a week off, uh, let's review that most important part of the prayer. Martin Luther wonderfully explains the petitions of the Lord's Prayer and he does so with the opening as well. Let's read together our Father in heaven. What does this mean? With these words. So our relationship with God then involves praying about His name, His kingdom and His will. And then it turned last time with Dr. Ashman so appropriately right before Thanksgiving to our daily bread in all its various, various, various kinds. But today we get to the tough part. Not just about our relationship with God as Father, but our relationships with each other even at their most difficult point when we've been sinned against. And so the prayer, we usually hear it in English, Matthew 6, verse 12 Next slide. Forgive us our trespasses as. That is an ominous thing to pray, isn't it? As we forgive those who trespass against us. And if that weren't hard enough in Greek, it's literally this. The forgive word means let it go. Made famous in the Frozen movie, let it go, oh, right? Yeah, gotta let it go. To hang on to it is bad for you, not to mention your relationship with someone else. Let it go. And the trespasses word in Greek is really debts. So each sin I commit is a debt I have to repay to God. My debt's enormous, and I can't repay any of it anyway. And then the Greek verb is not forgive as we forgive. It's a past tense verb. So forgive us our trespasses as we forgave. Ouch. To our debtors, Or more literally, let go to us our debts as we have already let it go to our debtors. Hmm. So Jesus is saying, I have to forgive first. If you read the two verses right after the Lord's Prayer, they're hard, but let's read them together. Immediately after the prayer, Jesus says... For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive. Couldn't really be more clear, could he, about this responsibility of forgiving others? Later in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus tells a long parable about a forgiven servant who then goes out and refuses to forgive another. And in this parable, the master forgives this first servant an enormous amount. We could say $10 million of debt. That's like Middendorf's sin debt, right? Then the servant refuses to forgive a much smaller debt to a fellow servant, maybe about five months pay. Not a small amount, but in comparison to what he had been forgiven, not near as much. Jesus ends the parable this way. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. This is hard. Maybe you wish you hadn't come this one. So let's cut to the chase. Do you have to forgive others to be forgiven by our heavenly Father? And on the one hand, we could say no. On the cross, Jesus doesn't say, Father, forgive them, but only if they forgive each other. Right? Ephesians 2 doesn't say you are saved by works or that you become a Christian by being forgiving to other people or that being forgiving will earn your way to God's forgiveness and to heaven. Instead, you're saved by grace through faith. This is God's gift apart from your works, even your works of forgiving others, but by God's undeserved favor, mercy, and grace in Jesus Christ. So in a sense, no. But what is Jesus saying? And I think it comes around to, yes, you can't keep that forgiveness for yourself, or you can cut yourself off from the forgiveness of your Father." Michael W. Smith had a song that says it well, you gotta give it away. Just like God gave it away to us, you also got to, no, you get to, you get to, you get to, you get to give away what you first received from God. So the way I like talking about this is by using the analogy of Israel's geography. Here's beautiful beautiful uh, land of Israel about the size of New Jersey. Its boundaries are wonderful water box the uh, western boundary, the greater Mediterranean Sea, the east boundary, the Jordan River. The north is basically the top of the Sea of Galilee. The southern border is basically the bottom of the Dead Sea. Way north of the Sea of Galilee, beautiful Mount Hermon, 9,000 feet high, many springs, snow melt even, and it sends this beautiful fresh water running down into the Sea of Galilee. And it comes in from the north, flows into the Sea of Galilee, flows back out the south. The Jordan River continues to go down, and the result is this, a beautiful, freshwater lake, the only one in the Middle East, the wonderful lake we tend to call the Sea of Galilee. That very same Jordan River water then flows into the Dead Sea, and this is an odd, odd place. It's the lowest spot on earth, 1,200 feet below sea level, the lowest ultraviolet rays on Earth, safe place to get a tan, the highest oxygen concentration in the air of any place on Earth. After Thanksgiving, I hate to tell you, you weigh more there than anywhere else on Earth. But it's also the highest mineral content of any body of water on Earth, 35% or so just minerals, and so it's very kind of slimy. But even a dorky theology professor can lean back and read his biblical archaeology review without even having a floating lounge chair to sit in. You just pop right up. Everybody floats there. But why do they call it the Dead Sea? Because it keeps the water for itself. It refuses to give any away. It has no outlet. It's dead. Nothing lives there. So to put it into my poetry... If it's all about me, we end up like the Dead Sea. Martin Luther talked about sin as being curved in on self. The Dead Sea is curved in on itself, refusing to let anything out. If it's all about me, we'll end up like the Dead Sea. But Jesus calls us to be as the Sea of Galilee. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Freely you have received. Freely give. And so, like the Jordan River, his fill in the blank flows to us. And then, like the Sea of Galilee, it ought to flow through us and on to others. So it is with his mercy. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. So it is with his grace. So it is with his giving. So it is with his service to us. So it is with his kindness. So it is with his teaching and his word. So it is with his forgiveness. Like the Jordan River, his forgiveness flows to us, freely received. But the call then is to let it flow through us, freely give. You gotta give it away. You can't keep it for yourself. No, you get to give it away. We have two more weeks, but actually only chapel one more week. So uh, we have two petitions left in the Lord's Prayer, and here they are. Lead us not into temptation, or I wonder whether that should be understood as God don't lead us into times of trial and testing, because James 1 assures us God tempts no one. So it's not like we have to pray Him out of doing something. His Word promises He will never lead us into temptations to sin. But he can lead us into trials, and we're not going to cover that one in chapel because finals week will be (laughs) it. There it is. Lead us not into trials and testing. Well, there comes some, right? But next week we are going to finish with what we normally say, deliver us from evil. But in Greek, I would say very clearly, deliver us from the evil one. So Dr. Eschelbach is right. Learn Greek at your earliest opportunity. And then you can at least discuss and debate these based upon the original uh, language in which the New Testament and the Lord's Prayer is so wonderfully given to us. But we won't start Greek lessons. Jesus also said, today's troubles are sufficient for today, so let's stick with that fifth petition. And again, here's Martin Luther's explanation. Let's read it together. Forgive us, or let go to us our debts as we have let it go to others. What does this mean? We pray in this petition. That says it so well. Or grab a verse from St. Paul, put it to music, and take this with you. Here's this petition of the Lord's Prayer. Be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Do do do. Ephesians 4:32. There was more song and more words than there was song. So just do it. Do 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 do. I ah, know. <laughs> Please sing with me. <laughs> Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven. you. do 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 do. Ephesians 4.32 Be ye kind to one another Tender-hearted, forgiving one another Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you Do do doodly-doo Ephesians 4.32 Good, I hope you can't get the tune